join me in prayer. Father God, we thank you for this, your word, and we pray that you would help us to understand it, but help us to do more than understand it. Help us to listen, help us to obey, and we pray that you would change us this day by your spirit. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So there are some people in the world whose words hold quite a lot of power. Even people who don't like them or what they do still listen to them. So here's one, Donald Trump. At the moment, his words are daily news. Get used to that for at least for the next three days, and I suspect for a little bit longer in one way or another. Um, his words are very powerful. What he said back in March, when he said back in March that injecting disinfectant is something that should be investigated in the treatment of the coronavirus, um, when he said that, the cases of poisoning by disinfectant in the United States more than doubled for March and April. His words are powerful. And that we're not talking scores, we're talking thousands, okay? Um, another person whose words are powerful, Pope Francis. Wherever he goes, people throng and hang off his words. And as far as many Catholics go, his words are, on matters of faith uh, carry the same weight, the same authority as the very words of God. His words are powerful. But it's not just politicians. It's not just religious leaders whose words have significant power. If you are an employee, your boss has profound, his, their words, his or her words, have profound power over you and over your fellow, uh, fellow workers. Uh, if you're a student, you might not think it, but your teachers, your lecturers, have a, their words have a significant impact on you. And if you're a teacher, you know that, don't you? Uh, but it's not just their words, these people in authority whose words are powerful and significant. All words are powerful and significant. Our words, my words, your words may not hold the same power as Pope Francis or Donald Trump, but what we see in James chapter 3 is that our words are powerful words. They have the capacity to create massive destruction and the capacity for hurt and the capacity for good for ourselves and for others. Today, James asks us to reflect on the words that we speak and reflect on the things that we say. And the question is, if we claim to know our God, then do our words reflect that or not? That's the question that James wants us to ask. And James begins this section, if you haven't got your Bibles open, have a look at James chapter 3. He begins this section in a strange way with a warning for those who want to take on the role of being a teacher of some sort. Verse 1, not many of you should presume to be teachers, he says, brothers and sisters, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. Why does he start there in this chapter? What we'll see is that it's because one of the key problems for the audience that James is writing to is that they had tickets on themselves. They thought they were up for the teaching and leading roles. They thought they had what it took to be a leader and a teacher and authority over others. And James thought, maybe not. And this issue hits at the core problem that we've seen in James so far and will continue to see all the way through James. Bruce introduced it to us last week, the problem of double-mindedness. The problem of claiming to know God, saying that they believe God, but actually failing in their life to show that in the way that they live, in what they say and what they do. Showing their faith in works and action. In fact, as you look through James, it seems like they 
are quite comfortable with demonstrating that they that the world has more impact on the way that they live their life than the God that they claim to worship. Now we've already seen in chapter and verse one of chapter three that they think they're up for the role of being teacher, and James is questioning whether that's the case. Uh, and we see key evidence of this lack of Christian fruit really in verses nine and ten. Have a look at it there. With the tongue we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. They're strong words because the people he's writing to need to hear it. What impression of the people that James is writing to do you get from this chapter, from this book so far? Let's seem to be men and women who have a high view of their own standing, a high view of their own Christian walk, while all the while they're blind to their own hypocrisy, to their own sin, and the evil ways in this chapter that they use their tongue. They're blind to their own ungodliness. And it begs the question, could James say the same thing about us? Are we just as blind? as the people that James is writing to. Could we be blind to our own ungodliness, blind to our own hypocrisy of our own faith? It's the question that James wanted his readers to ask, and it's a question that we need to ask too. And last week we looked at whether our faith was real or, or just a sham by looking at, whether, looking at the topic of favouritism. That's what we looked at last week. This week we examined the use of our tongue. And we'll look more closely at that soon, but before we leave verse 1, just a word on verse 1, a word to leaders, teachers, or those considering such roles. Firstly, these words in verse 1 don't just apply to people who get up and preach. These words apply to people who teach kids' church, who teach youth group, who teach in growth groups, not just preachers, and to those who would seek to be in those sort of roles, want to be in and serve in that way. In these ministries, people lead, people teach, people have pastoral responsibility. And James says that the reason why few people should presume to be teachers in this role is because teachers will be judged more strictly. I won't go into detail on this. Another passage that might help you to think through this is 1 Corinthians 3. The judgment that, that James is speaking about here is not whether you get into heaven or whether you get into hell. It's not that. It's the weighing up of our works before our God as he weighs up our works and see whether it's grass, hay, wood, straw, or precious stones, as 1 Corinthians 3 says. That's the sort of judgment that this passage is talking about. And what this tells us is it's no small thing to consider being a youth group leader, a kids' church teacher. It's a great responsibility. Don't presume to be simply able to take on such a role. Consider what that role involves and pray and talk to others, seek advice before you take on such a role. As a church, we should not consider roles in leadership in our youth group and kids' programs to be just slots to be filled. They're not just slots to be filled. They're significant responsibilities in teaching and leading. And we need to think about it that way. And that's how we do think about it. And we need to be encouraged to do that once again as we look at this verse. But the rest of the chapter continues to move on and continue to speak about the use of our words, not just for those who teach, but really for everybody. They apply to all who claim faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And these words on the way that we use our tongue are strong words by James. Frightening words as we consider the power of the tongue. Have a look at verse 3. The illustrations that he puts there, and as he compares the tongue to the bits, of uh, the bits that go into the horse's mouth or to the rudder of a ship. Now, 
I can't really relate to the illustration James gives about the bits in the mouth of horses because I've ridden a horse a few times and I've got to say the bit that's in the mouth of the horse doesn't seem to have much to do with the direction that the horse goes as far as I'm concerned. For me, it would seem to be it had more to do with where the other horses go and it's just following them or where it wanted to go, not, not where I wanted it to go. So that one doesn't quite work for me. Maybe there was something wrong with the bit. I'm sure that's the case. But, so let's skip that one. Let's go straight to the ship's rudder. Let's consider what James says about ships. Now, you might get the impression that the ships of James's day weren't all that big. Like, you know, I was thinking, oh, maybe 30 metres long. So we did a bit of research and worked out I was completely wrong. That's not the case. Now, of course, there were some that small, obviously. But let me talk to you about Caligula's giant ship. They found the ruins of such a ship while we were building an airport in Rome. And this beast of a ship was a six-deck-high barge, 100 metres long, 20 metres wide. It carried a crew of some 700 people. It was quite a significant ship. And I suspect that's the sort of thing that James was thinking about. But what would James have made of the ships in our day? Let's take the Symphony of the Seas as an example, the greatest cruise ship, the biggest cruise ship at the moment. Uh, 360 metres long, 65 metres wide, and can hold up to 8,900 people, including 2,200 crew. I mean, what would James do if he saw that? I think his jaw would be on the floor. Such massive machines. What's the point? Well, they're steered by rudder. Now, admittedly, the rudder of this ship is quite significantly big. It's 12 metres high, and I think there's three of them. I think that's right. Now, they're fairly big, but when you consider the size of the ship, it's really quite small to steer that massive thing through the seas. Anyway, what's the point of this illustration that James gives us? The tongue, though it is so small steers our whole life, controls us. It has an impact way out of proportion to the size that it is. James says the tongue makes great boasts. What does he mean by that? He's not talking about the way that we use our tongue to boast. He's not talking about that at all. He's personifying the tongue and saying the tongue can boast about the fact that it controls human beings that control ships. The tongue controls our life and so it can boast about that. Our tongue can set the direction of our life. What we say to people will have a huge impact on how other people treat us and, and how they speak to us and relate to us. With our tongue, we say things that we wish we could take back, but once we've said them, it's too late. And it shapes our life. In worst-case scenarios, you know, these words, sometimes these foolish words that we say can just have a huge impact on others and on ourselves with family breakups and long-time hurts, often over stupid things that are said, but it's just too late they've been said. And lifelong hurt can happen as a result of these words that we speak. But as we consider the power of the tongue, verse 2 was really quite frightening. Have a look at verse 2 of chapter 3, where he says, We all stumble in many ways. If anyone is never at fault in what he says, he's a perfect person, able to keep the whole body in check. So the problem with this very powerful organ of our body is that we not only is it powerful, but we can't control it. We cannot control it. It sets the direction of our life, but it is an uncontrollable beast. That's what James says. We like to think, we like to think that we're in control of our life, that, that we are the deciders of our destiny, we are the authors of our fate, but the reality is we're not. We are not in control. 
That's what this passage clearly tells us. And the way we use our tongue is a profound illustration of this. We all say things we wish we didn't, fail to say things we know we should. We speak in ways that destroy even, in fact, probably more to those that we love so dearly. It's ridiculous, isn't it? But we all do it. We are not in control. Left on our own, we are slaves of sin and our tongues ably demonstrate that in a way that no other part of our body does. And James goes on and he illustrates for us the power of the tongue to destroy. Verse 5, consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue is also a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole person, sets the whole course of one's life on fire and is itself set on fire by hell. Now this is an illustration we are very familiar with after the last summer, aren't we? We know the power of fire. Now, I know some people who were close to those fires when they were happening on the south coast, uh, and the way that they described them was just apocalyptic. They were just really frightened to be anywhere near. And we think about how destructive those fires are, and you think about, well, how do they start? Just a small spark. I forgot to take a match up. I was going to strike a match. But, you know, if I strike a match, just a tiny little, tiny little fire like that can set a big blaze like that afire. And he said, that's what the tongue is like. That's how destructive it can be. James calls the tongue a ravaging fire. James says in verse 6 that it's the, the whole world of sin it can be found in the tongue. Let's think about that phrase for a bit. You know, in the tongue, you can find the whole range of sin, gossip, hatred, murder, adultery, slander, lies, dishonour to parents, hatred of God, idolatry, immorality. With the tongue, we invent ways of doing evil. That's what you find in the tongue. The words that our tongue speaks is the overflow of a wicked heart. But while our tongues wreak havoc and destruction on those around us, notice in this verse it's not that that James has in mind. He's not, he's not immediately thinking about the impact that our tongue has on others. Now he's not denying that the power of the tongue to destroy the lives of others, but what's most in his mind is the power of the tongue to destroy us, ourselves. He says it corrupts the whole body, sets the whole course of one's life on fire and is itself set on fire by hell. The tongue corrupts my body. It destroys others, yes, but it destroys me. It destroys us. That's what he's saying and sends us to hell. Have a look, have a listen to these words, Matthew chapter 12, verses 33 to 37, where he says, Make a tree good and its fruit will be good, or make a tree bad and its fruit will be bad. For a tree is recognised by its fruit. You brood of vipers, how can you who are evil say anything good? For out of the overflow of the heart the mouth speaks. A good person brings good things out of the good stored up in them, and the evil person brings evil things out of the evil stored up in them. But I tell you that people will have to give an account on the day of judgment for every careless word they have spoken. For by your words you'll be acquitted and by your words you'll be condemned. That's a frightening thought, isn't it? That every careless word will come before our Lord and condemn us. Every careless word held accountable by God. Now, what if James says that our tongues can set the whole course of someone's life on fire and send us to hell? 
people think that that when we're angry, you know, when we say things that we wish we could take back, you know, that we're not actually being true to ourselves. That's not the genuine me. It's not a true reflection of my person. Well, I want to suggest to you it's the opposite. I think it is a genuine reflection of who we are. And that's a frightening thought. What we say in frustration, what we say in anger, the things that we say when we think others won't hear are often the clearest windows to our soul. It's then that we see ourselves as we truly are without the layers of pretense, without the niceness that we put on the outside, without the things covering up what we really think. That's a frightful thought. But I think it's true. And I think that's what James is telling us. You know, there's a saying that goes like this. I'm, I'm sure you know it. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but an angel will never hurt me. You know what? That's a lot of garbage. That is just not true. Because bones will heal in six weeks, but I tell you what, the, the wounds that come from words, they can take a lifetime. When I was at school, like most kids, I copped a barrage of teasing. It didn't help that my dad was a mass master, but anyway, it's not his fault. Um... And, and those words that people say again and again and again just echo in your head, don't they? They hurt. They bring back painful memories every time you hear them. Even years, decades after, uh, you know, a few years after I left school, I met one of the primary teasers that was teasing me in high school at an RSL club that I was working in. And all those memories and all that hurt came flooding back. And I tell you what, I, was, I found it so hard not to hit the bloke. I found it so hard not to hate him and just listen and talk as adults, finally. Words can be poison to the soul. The way that we speak to our friends, our family, our parents, our brothers, our sisters, our enemies, matter. They can hurt. And James says they can send us to hell. Maybe you're here today and for the first time you're realising you, you thought you had control over your life. But maybe today you're starting to realise, maybe I don't. Maybe this is the first time it's really hit you, that your tongue exposes just how broken you are and how you long to be put right. And your sin is being exposed by the mirror that is God's word as we read it through here. If that's you, let me say this. Let me say three of the most powerful words in the human language are these words. You are forgiven. If you put your trust in Jesus, no matter what you have said, no matter what you have done, you can hear those three words, you are forgiven by no one less than your God because of what Jesus has done. And if you want to find out more about the astound, those three astounding words and what Jesus has to do with them, and you want to find out more about that, ask someone you know who does trust in Jesus, who knows the power of those words, and say, I'd like to find out more. Please, please let me know. Let me encourage you to do that. We have seen that words can destroy and send to hell, but they can also do so much good. But before we consider how we might be able to tame the tongue, James takes us to the heart of the matter, and that's Christian hypocrisy. What James is saying about the tongue is actually the presenting symptom of the core problem, the core problem of our hypocrisy, our double-mindedness. Verse 9, with the tongue we praise our Lord and Father and with it we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be, he says. There's the core problem. The point is simple, isn't it? Our words should reflect that we are God's children. What is God like? He's a compassionate, loving, forgiving, truth-loving, patient God. 
And that should characterize our words, but so often it doesn't, doesn't it? Jesus calls on us to love our neighbours ourselves. One of the key ways we do that is with our words, in what we say and how we say it. James says in verse 2 that if a person is able to control their tongue, then they can control their whole body. Really what he's saying there is that how we speak to others is a gauge of our whole life of godliness. Have a look at the hypocrisy found in verse 9. They claim to know God and then they treat those who are made in his image with cursing and hatred. It's, it's just wrong. It's a contradiction. If we do that, what would, what would James say? Well, he says it, brothers and sisters, this should not be. This just is not right. If you were to hear, let's say we recorded everything you said in the last 12 months, uh, last, let's, let's say week. We haven't got that long, have we? Just the week. And I came up here and played it for everybody to hear. How would you feel? I suspect there'd be places where someone's going, oh, gee, I hope they turn the mic off then. Because I don't want them to hear what I said then. Now, there's going to be times when we actually, what we said was a reflection of our trust in God, but other times when it was not. What are we going to do about those times that it wasn't a reflection of what God has done for us? How can we tame the tongue? James says, verse 2, that we stumble in many ways and that no one can tame the tongue. So what does he want us to do? Throw our hands up and say, oh, well, you know, everybody's got the problem. It doesn't matter. That's not what he wants us to do. Yeah, we can't. He's realistic. He says, no, you'll never fully be able to tame the tongue by the time that you die. But that's not a reason not to try to and not to seek to and not to seek God's help in it. No, he says, my brothers and sisters, this should not be. Make every effort to tame the tongue. So how do we do it? James is writing this that we might make every effort to tame the tongue. Every now and then I'm surprised by the ability of Christians to talk about people behind their back. People have an issue with something or someone, uh, something that's happening in the church, and the last person they speak to is the person responsible or the person that has hurt them. They'll talk to everybody else, but not that person. That's not right. That's not a good way to use a tongue, is it? Instead, they speak behind, we speak behind their back, we grumble in the background, never willing to face the person. It's a destructive way to use the tongue. It's divisive. It's not right. If we have an issue with someone or something, we should be willing to talk about it with them. And unless we're willing to talk about it with them, we shouldn't talk about it with others. So hold your tongue, pick up the phone. I was going to say write an email, but I don't think it's a terrible way to deal with it. No, just talk to them, either on the phone or in person. Just speak, person to person. Emails can often be misread. If you do send an email, follow it up with a phone call. And as people who sin, as people with different ideas, uh, we'll always have differences between us. We'll always have disagreements and difficulties. That's a given. How we respond to them, how we operate to them, how we speak to them is what matters. And the way that we react to those differences, the way that we live in those differences, can be a profound witness to what God has done for us in Jesus. What matters is not that we disagree, it's how. That's what matters. And this doesn't apply just in church, does it? It applies at home, it applies at work, it applies at school, at university. Don't speak about people in a way that you wouldn't speak to their face. That's slander. That's not on. So how do we stop slandering? How do we stop gossiping? How do we stop lying? How do we stop making jokes at people's expense just to get a laugh? Well, there's no secret remedy. It does take self-control. But self-control is hard work. 
So when you realise that you've fallen, and we will, stop and pray. That's the first step, surely. Stop and pray. Ask God for forgiveness. He's the one you've most offended. Ask God for help. Ask God to make you aware of when you're going to do that again so that you don't and you hold your tongue and don't speak. And the way that we continue in the Christian life is the way that we began the Christian life. How? Repentance and faith. So when you fall, what do you do? You repent again and you trust again. It's really simple, but it's so hard, isn't it? It's easy not to do it. So come to God, ask for forgiveness, ask for help, know the comfort of forgiveness in Christ, seek to change, and once you've done that, seek to put things right with the person you hurt, with your words. When we fall, it's so easy to let the hurt slide, isn't it? We say things like, oh, you know, time will heal it, or, you know, I just don't want to bring it up again. They're excuses. Say sorry. Sorry is a profoundly powerful word. Use it. Words are powerful. They can do powerful good as well. Words of forgiveness, words of regret can do wonders to heal relationships. But it's hard work. But do that hard work. Another thing we should do to help control the tongue is to seek to use, replace the evil with good. Seek to use the tongue for good. Speak the truth in love. The words of God. God has entrusted us with his words. What a powerful thing to be involved in. God's work in this world by his words. Words that bring life and hope and eternal salvation. As we speak the truth in love to one another, as we pray for one another, as we encourage one another, forgive one another, apologise to one another, let's be the source of comfort, rebuke, encouragement to one another. They're powerful words that God uses to grow his kingdom that echo into eternity. Words are powerful not just for evil but for good too. Let's use them. Come to a church thinking, who should I encourage? Who should I welcome? Who should I build up today? How can I use my words today to do that, to grow God's kingdom? How can my words be a tool for God in this world? Is there someone I need to apologise to? Is there someone I need to encourage? Is there someone I need to just talk about? Uh, talk, talk about, sorry. <laughs> talk with about something. Let me get that right. <laughs> Is there someone I need to say, I really appreciate you and I really appreciate what you've done and I really appreciate this. The words are powerful tools. They have the power to destroy and they have the power to build, to build God's kingdom. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you that you have spoken to us in your word, in, your, in the person of your son. Father, help us to use words to build up and not destroy. Forgive us for the times when we fall in that, and we do, all of us in lots of different ways. Forgive us for the lies. Forgive us for the slander. Forgive us for the gossip. Forgive us for the yeah, all the ways we use our tongue, but not saying the things that we should. Father, help us to change. Help us to control our tongue. We know it's going to be a battle we face until the day that we die. But Father, be with us in it. Help us to reflect who you are in the way that we speak. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.